good morning church happy easter to you and uh thank you that uh you've taken the time to come to church this morning i know we have a lot of people here uh that i'm uh getting to know there's people whose faces i don't recognize but we want to say it's fantastic to have you with us and pray that this morning god will do something and speak to your heart today so um uh on that you might have seen us do some things perhaps you've not used to church like this before uh, it's just our expression how we uh, how we operate and worship God the way we do here. It's not the only way. It's not the best way. It's just our way. That's all. So hopefully you can understand that. You'll see people raise their hands, uh, pray quietly, pray aloud, whatever uh, in, in our worship time. But that's our uh, our style. That's all. It's like some people like Chinese food. Some people like Italian food. Some people like French food. Uh, some people like a loud service. Some people like a a, a quiet service. But uh, that's just what we do. So hopefully you can uh, understand that. It was Sharon Walker's birthday on Friday at, at our Good Friday service, and I missed it. I didn't know. She's in kids' church now, so she misses out on her birthday wishes and blessings. So, But this morning, we're here because we believe in the empty tomb. So we have the story of, of Easter, which, you know, don't, don't get put off by the name of Easter, because I rang my mum this morning in Melbourne, said, hey, mum, happy Easter. She said, oh, don't say that. Because she says that that's a pagan word. Okay, well, I have to say it in Italian to her, which you know is, is more nice. So uh, I won't tell you what that is in Italian. You can do your homework and find out for next Easter and come and tell me. But this this time of the year is is we we remember Jesus' death upon the cross. We also remember that he was buried and and was put to death. But the most important factor is that he rose again, unlike any other leader, you know, secular or, or spiritual. No one else has had that claim to say they rose from the dead. Now, the reason we know that is because we don't find a grave where Jesus is buried. We can find lots of other graves around the world where everyone else is buried and put to, uh, put to rest, but Jesus wasn't put to rest. He was put to rest in heaven next to the right hand of God. Anyway... I want us to talk about the empty tomb today. And it's good to see uh, James and Fern on the front row this morning. They got to church late, so I can put them on the front row. They're friends of ours from, from uh, a great church in Adelaide, Blackwood Hills Baptist. So you're still there, I hope. Yeah, that's good. My, my, my intelligence is correct. So they're, they're great young people and it's good to have them with us here this morning as well. But to explain the Easter story completely, it would begin with the Jewish ceremony of Passover and a sacrificial lamb so that blood was applied to the door frames of houses so that um, every house with a blood identified the occupants of God's protection you, you'll read that in Exodus uh, chapter 12 so every house that had this the blood of a lamb put on their doorpost got God's protection now when we understand who God is I think I would choose to live in a house where I get God's protection that's just that's how I think about it that's what I reckon. So the reason we're here today is, as believers in Jesus Christ, or most of us would be, is due to our faith in his death and the empty tomb that was left empty when he was resurrected. So Jesus is the sacrificial lamb who takes away our sin, who takes us into that place of God's protection. Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead because he was God. So our first scripture this morning is found in Matthew 
Chapter 28, it should pop up on the screens and it's easier for me to read it there. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene, that was the, you know, the Mary that I preached, the Mary Seven Demons, that's her. So she's famous. Um, and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. Next one, please. Then the angel spoke to the woman. Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Just as he said would happen, come see where his body was lying. So Jesus rose from the, from the grave in total victory over sin and its penalty on people. So that's the whole purpose of Christ was to, to make a way possible for, God, for, for people to live in the protection of God's blessing. And we need to understand that the empty tomb represents our freedom from every burden, every spiritual darkness, every spiritual burden that is, I think, the root of every other condition in our life is from a spiritual background. So when our spirit becomes right in God, then all of our life begins to take on a different aspect. Revelation 1 verse 5, it describes Jesus like this. It says, He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. In the Old Testament, there's a thing called law. Now, when you, if, you, if you're new to church and you're coming in listening to, to people preach, we use all kind of Christianese language. And you'll often hear preachers talk about the law. And you're thinking, well, what's wrong with the law? My grandfather was a lawyer or things like that. No, he wasn't. He was a farmer, my grandfather. But, but if you think about the law, we're not talking about the, the legal system in which we, we operate. We're talking about a, 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 a system that was instituted by God to the nation of Israel in ancient days. And they had a system that God told Moses, here's this package of rules, which we call the law, and, and that is what you have to live by to, to live within the boundaries of God's blessing. That was what we call law. Now, when Jesus came, he introduced a new, a new element, which was called grace. So hopefully this is all uh, explained to you this morning. So in the Old Testament, the first part of our Bibles, law made people right with God by sacrificing animals so if you wanted to if you wanted to be right with God you couldn't just turn up to the temple and say well I'm just going to go and worship today and maybe uh, put in an offering or something like that you had to come with the sacrifice of an animal and there's there was some some things where, where they would kill they'd kill birds other times it was a lamb sometimes it was a bull uh, all these different animals which, which would make peace with God but in Jesus God made the sacrifice to make peace with people. That's a huge difference that we need to understand. So we're released from the law, which was strict obedience to sacrifice and religious customs. We're released from that in Christ. So in Jesus, God made the sacrifice to make peace with people. And that's the, the most incredible part about um, being a believer in Jesus is it's not what we have to bring to him, it's what he brought to us. So we're released from the law. 
Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 14 and 15 tells us this. Because God's children are human beings, poke someone and say, are you a human being? Made of flesh and blood, the son also becomes flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So I want us to talk this morning a little bit about heaven and hell. Maybe not a real cool subject, but God has given every person the choice of heaven and hell. See, heaven is, the etern is eternal in the presence of God. Whatever that looks like, whatever that is, I can't even begin to imagine or describe what that word actually encompasses. But it's ultimately, it's eternity in the presence of God. Direct contact with God. Hell is eternal without the presence of God. Now, I know the question many people have, have, have uh, put to me over, over the years is, well, why would a loving God create hell? Why would God do that? I'll give you a very clumsy explanation today. So I'm not trying to defend God, but this is very, very clumsy. But why would God create or allow hell? See, he gives those who have lived with the presence of God on earth, which is every single human being. We've all lived in the presence of God, in the goodness of God, if we choose to see it. But some people have hated that, and they've rejected God. And the place that they've always wanted is a place without God. A place where there is no God. And they think, well, if there is a God, well, I don't like him anyway. If there is a God, he's unfair. If there is a God, well, we hate him. And that place where he isn't is called hell. And I can tell you that no one would want to end there. I know people will say things to me, well, I want to be there with all my mates. You know, that you, you don't understand what a place without God is really like. But know that it has always been God's greatest desire to be at peace with people. And he does everything within his, within his power to shine his goodness onto people all the time. Way back, as I mentioned, in the days of the law. It, it doesn't say, well, things suddenly changed and then God started to be nice. Because in the olden days he was mean, but then he started to be Nice after Jesus. No, he was always nice. He was always good. We're going to have a look at this in a minute of how things get switched in life. But in Ezekiel 18, verse 23, in, uh, under the law, it says this. Do you think that I like to see wicked people die? Wicked means people, witchcraft people, people who, who, who openly worship the devil. You think, and God's saying, do you think I like to see people die? Sinners, bad people. Uh, says the sovereign Lord, of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. That's always been God's motive. Always been God's way of operation. In the book of Job, I'm using a lot of scriptures here today, but in the book of Job 15 verse 25, it describes people who shake their fist at God, defying and challenging his place. So this, this message this morning is really uh, uh, an attachment to Good Friday's message. So if you want to put those two together if you listen to our podcast from Good Friday and match these together it probably make a lot more sense than the second half that I'm picking up on 
But there, that, that amazes me that there, there has always been through time. And Job apparently is the, the, the earliest book ever written in our Bible. So the experts say. But it describes, it, it's talking about those who shake their fists at God. And I know you could think if you just imagine people, conversations that you've spoken uh, about when it comes to this subject of God. And there are those who say, well, if there is a God, I don't want to have anything to do with him. No, they use excuses like, well, why is there suffering? Why, is there, why do you know, young people get diseases and why do, why do people starve in the world? I'll tell you something, the answer to that is we've got tons of food, but because of selfishness and greed and bad management, we're throwing away more than enough to feed the world five times over every year. So don't blame God for our, our, our bad management of what he's given us. But you know, when people get mad at God, God isn't the one fighting. People reject God with their own arguments and fight against him, but God isn't fighting. Because you know what? He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to argue with us to prove his point. He doesn't have to prove who he is. You just have to wake up and see a sunrise and see, wow. But he wants to make ways for people to come back to him. In Ezekiel, again, chapter 34, verse 25, just the very first part, God makes a, makes a statement and he says, I'll make a covenant of peace with my people and drive away the dangerous animals from the land. That sounds a little bit strange. But the covenant of peace God promised was fulfilled with Christ in his death. It was the first installment. But... It was completed in his victory over death in his resurrection when his body was raised up again to life. There is no dangerous animal. When I, I bring that into our context today, no dangerous animal, no spiritual force, no demonic thing that can stand against that covenant, the new covenant that Jesus created with his own blood upon the cross. The empty tomb represents our freedom from every burden and every spiritual darkness. And we have to remind ourselves that Jesus isn't the one who just died upon the cross for our sins, but he rose again to, to give us a way to live, to give us a way forward to live in his blessing and goodness. So I just review those last points. Heaven and hell are eternal destinations that we get to choose. Hell is a place with no God, Heaven is where God is. I want to just expose some lies this morning. And I want to expose the devil's lies. Or his other name for him is Satan. And I don't want to preach about him. just want to preach so that you understand how he works. He said, you know, I mentioned this on Friday. People think original sin was when Adam and Eve ate the fruit from the from the tree of life and God, God said don't eat from that tree and they ate the, and then it was like original sin original sin started long before that in heaven when the devil chose that he was going to be God and it tells us in Isaiah 14 verse 14 he said I'll become like the most high and that was the original sin he wanted to be worshipped not a worshipper this is the devil and it can't be like that in heaven because God is there. So when the devil says, hey, 
people start, or angels or whoever, uh, uh, spiritual beings in heaven, I think I can be God, you worship me. See, he can't do that. And as soon as he did that, he was cast down from heaven because where God is, nothing else can be worshipped because God is just, he's so consuming and so powerful and so amazing and wonderful and pure that nothing else compares. But he wanted, Satan wanted to be a worship, he wanted to be worshipped, not a worshipper. So Satan invaded earth and his desire was to have his kingdom where people and beings worshipped him. He can't do that in heaven, so he came to earth. Satan's motivation was to rule the world without the instructions, with no order or balance where he could rule like God. But the, th the difference is he doesn't love the world like God. He doesn't know the world like God. He destroys it through corruption of God's order. And, you know, he cleverly also does that in church too. He wants to, he wants to infiltrate church. He wants to infiltrate our life. So we, we can be in a place where we go, well, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the church, but we've been infiltrated by, by his schemes and his ways. And, and we're thinking, well, it's all about me and all about ser people serving me and my, my will and my desire and the, the, the desires of my life. He infiltrates those things. Therefore, we have a world as we know it that's exploited, polluted, and degraded in every way. And we think of the world, then that's also sometimes a condition of people's lives. Exploited, degraded, and less than what they should be. So the devil's tactic is to make people, this is the bit you need to really catch this morning, the devil's tactic is to make people blame God for the condition of the world that the devil corrupted. It's like the ultimate switch. It's like being hoodwinked totally so that, so that the perpetrator of the crime blames someone else. And that's exactly what the devil wants us to do. He cleverly lies and people, who, who have, uh, people offer their best on the devil's table without knowing it. So they give their life to a lie. They give their life to a deception. So Satan's anger is aroused by those who worship God. He hates people who worship and love Jesus. That's his ultimate, his ultimate aim is to say, instead of worshipping God, just have your focus on something else. That's his ultimate plan. So getting onto Jesus and the empty tomb. Why did Jesus have to die as he did? What was all that about? Again, if you turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Jesus fought Satan on his terms in the kingdom he took for himself. Jesus took back the honour, the glory, the worship back to God. Because no matter where Satan will set up his camp, God is, only the, is still only the only one to be worshipped. The empty tomb represents our freedom from every burden and spiritual darkness, from every confusion. And I want to prophesy this morning over people, you might be uh, living life where you're thinking, I've, I've been trapped, I've been caught, 
maybe you, you, you look back now and you think, well, I walked straight into a, a, a devil trap. Maybe you, 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 you've just had circumstances where you think, I didn't even choose this, I didn't plan it, but things happened around me and I just got stuck in this place where I don't even want to be. But you know something today? You need to realize that Jesus Christ is, is risen from the dead. There is an empty tomb and that, that represents a life that you can live with your mistakes, past things, whatever they are, left behind in that tomb so that you can live in freedom with Christ. You need to shake yourself out of the devil's condemnation sometimes because the devil, will, he's an expert at luring us into sin, luring us into the wrong things uh, by all sorts of you know, lovely looking things. We think that's what I want, that's what I need, that's what I'm going to do. And then once he gets you there and he, he gets you to fall for his trap, then he turns around and says, look, what kind of a horrible monster you are. And he plays music, make you feel nice. Jesus fought Satan on his terms in his kingdom so that he could defeat him on his terms. Romans 6 verse 23. It tells us this. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Who loves a free gift? I'm in for that. I had to buy uh, some computers this week for the church and Sharon, is she here this morning? She said, ask him for something because we're getting two. Ask him for something for free. I think, oh, I don't like doing that, but she's the treasurer, so I thought I better. So I said, hey, you know, because we're getting two, do you reckon we could get us, you know, anything special? He goes, oh, have you got this? Have you got that? Yeah, I think we've got all that. He goes, how about a couple of bags? Yes. <laughs> But you know, when it comes to your spiritual life, have the attitude you say, I want the free package. Because the wages of sin is death. That's, that's costing you eternity in heaven. Take the free package. The one from God. But the only problem is with Christians, because we're really stupid, is we think, well, God, that's a free package, but there's got to be something I have to do to get the free package. You know what I did in, in the shop the other day? Which, which by the way, it was H, HM. HN. I won't say the name, but they were really good. Go shopping there. All I had to do is ask. You know, can I, can you throw in anything? Yeah, yeah we, we'll do something. You know something? We've got to have that attitude with God. Because what, what Satan does is he comes and he says, hey, look at all this. Gold, awesome, fame, whatever he shows you, doing your own thing, just so, so good. There's a cost. God just wants to see our heart and say, Jesus, what will you give me? And as I was referring just a second ago, we always think that we've got to give God something so that he'll love us. It's a bad trap. You think, well, what, what, what commandment must I follow? The, 
the coolest thing is that the same question people came to Jesus and said, what's the most important commandment, Jesus? It's a question people still have sometimes. Hey, what's the most important one? Jesus said, well, the first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So if we have a, I want a debate about what's most important, well, it's to love people and to love God. The penalty of sin is death, but that empty tomb testifies that Jesus has defeated death and that through him all, can, all people can find eternal hope and be assured of salvation because of the empty tomb. One last scripture that I think is really, really powerful for every person to understand is 1 Corinthians 15. To get more about, about the context of it all, I think everybody needs to go home and read 1 Corinthians 15, read the whole, the whole thing, and then read it again and read it again. Especially verses 51 and 44, uh, 54, sorry, 51 to 54 but we're not going to there this morning, but I want to just mention that because it really crystallizes and, and clarifies Jesus' work. So I'll read out verses 20 to 24. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. After that, the end will come when he will, when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. So we can have confidence in the resurrection of Jesus. The tomb is empty and we have that same promise to live in freedom. Jesus conquered death, sin and every corruption the world has known. The power of God that raised Jesus from, from being dead is also our power to live in freedom spiritually. I just ask you to bow your heads this morning. I want to pray for people today where perhaps you know that you haven't lived in the total freedom that God has designed for your life. I don't want to embarrass people. I don't want to um, cause uh, anything like that. But you know in your spirit when there's been things that you've been blinded by. Maybe you've been seduced by the devil Today, all you need to do is say, Lord, open my eyes again to see you. Open my eyes again to see your goodness, your desire to pick me up and to carry me through. There are people here, and I, I, I find there's, there's, there's people in every crowd like this, but you fear death. You fear death. You have this, this thing where you, you know, you, it just grips you. God wants to set you free from that fear today and give you confidence in the resurrection. And I pray that hope will fill your heart, that you don't live fearing that day, thinking, when is that going to happen? Or 
how long have I got? But you start saying, I'm going to live for Jesus for every minute that I have. There's others here, you may feel confused all the time. Double-minded living. You think, well, yes, I want to, I want to go for Jesus. I want to, I want to give my life and dedicate it for God. But then you, you walk out of church and then you, you, you find yourself falling straight back into the same old lifestyle. I want you to start living anew today because you have a revelation of the empty tomb and that's the way God wants you to live in that freedom and there's others and you have family that need Jesus I want you to believe that they can be saved doesn't matter what the circumstances or the the, um, conversations have been in your family Jesus wants to save your family and sometimes that can be the biggest burden we carry is for the loss that are close to us and related to us but I know that God wants to do the impossible in our lives he wants to take us and prepare us and propel us into his destiny he wants us to do impossible things and I don't care how impossible it is God wants to do impossible things as I was just preparing for for today I wanted to encourage people or I felt the Holy Spirit sharing with me to encourage people that what's your impossible now, you're going to look back on in a year's time and think, wow, that's no longer there anymore. That's gone. I thought I would never be free of this. I thought that would never change. I thought whatever it is in your life, but there's many people here today that you're facing every day with the impossibles and you think if only that would go, if only that could change, but you've thought it it can't, It, it just never will. But I prophesy to you this morning that in a year's time, by Easter next year, you're going to look back and think, wow, what I thought could never change has changed. What I thought I could never get off me is off me. Whatever, whatever I thought I could never break free of, I'm free of. I prophesy that over you this morning in the power of Jesus. Why don't we just bow our heads together? I'm going to pray and uh, trust God is going to do the impossible because we're living and operating in Jesus who left the tomb empty today. So Lord God, I pray for people here today, perhaps if you want to raise your hand to to receive a prayer this morning, no one's looking around, just raise your hand in the privacy of this prayer and say, Jesus, I, I need your touch in my life today. So Lord, we pray for those who have been blinded by the devil's schemes, that they may be set free today, that their, that their um, life may be turned around and that they can say, Jesus, I, I see a better way now. I see a, a, an empty tomb and I see my way forward. Lord, I pray for those who have fear of death, that hope will fill their hearts, that they will no, no longer be bound by an unnatural fear and, a, and, and something holding them bound. Lord, I pray for confusion, those uh, here who have a double-minded life, Lord, I pray that you may place their feet on the solidness of your word, on the solidness of of what you've won for us. Lord, I pray that over them in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we pray for for our family members, those who we love, even friends and neighbours who don't know you. And Lord, we pray that your kingdom may come and minister love and peace and security into our our, uh, relatives and friends. So, Lord, we just pray that this Easter we may have a healing and restoration in relationships in Jesus' name. So, Lord, we thank you and we know that you are going to do 
the impossible in the next year in our lives. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. So I'll just leave you with that last thought. The empty tomb represents our freedom from every burden and spiritual darkness. And I hope that you can get that into your spirit this year and look back in 2019 and say, wow, I can't believe the things that God has done. Amen. Thank you.